Welcome to the good, the bad, and the sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So the next sequel that we're going to be covering is the 1990 horror classic, Sorority House Massacre 2. And our guest for it, it's one of her favorite horror movies. So stay tuned for that. It's free on YouTube. So watch it. It's like 75 minutes, but it has everything you love from 80s horror, the two B's, boobs and blood. And this week, man, I was so lucky to interview the star, the killer of the movie, Orville Ketchum himself, Peter Spellos. Man, when I go into these interviews, I do as much research as I can, but for some people, there's just not biographies or other interviews I can check out, which I personally love. And Peter is a local guy. I'm in New Jersey. He's from New York City. And he told me about how he caught the acting bug at a young age, his days owning a stand-up comedy club, his love for improv, and then what drew him out to Hollywood and his first role, Orville Ketchum, Sorority Ass Massacre 2. And then from there, he, he formed a bond with Jim Minorsky, worked with him for you know, eight or nine movies, which we talk about their relationship and how Peter really earned his spot, you know, sort of putting Jim in his place, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Uh, and then a great story because he was in Munchie, if you're a fan of our podcast, or if you're a first-time listener, welcome. We covered this movie called Munchie from 1992, and it was like Jennifer Love You. It's like first movie. So Peter, years later, ran into her on a set. It's a really cool, touching story. And before I start the interview, again, thank you for checking us out. Please hit that subscribe button review, write us something really nice and rate us five stars. It really helps us out. So if anyone else stumbles upon us, they're like, Hey, these guys are pretty cool. So without further ado, here is actor Peter Spellos. Hey, Doug, how are you? Great. How are you? We're, we're in the meeting now, as the young lady says. We are in the meeting. Yeah. This is like the, the, it's a free option and it provides me with like the best quality. So thanks so much for putting up with that. Not a problem at all here. Sweet, man. Yeah. So like, what I like to do with these is uh, find out how people start it and then just touch a little, a few things that you've done over your career. So where'd you grow up? Ask anything you like. I grew up in New York City. I've been oh, sweet. Nights. Nice. And, and we moved up to New Rochelle when I was 12. And uh, that's kind of where I first found theater. Um, did a play in... Uh, junior high school where I wound up getting it's a too long a story to tell now but I wound up getting a laugh as an extra by mistake it was you know a happenstance but I was swamped after the show by all the girls because they thought I was funny there you, you go know? so at, you know at 15 years old I'm not a pretty man I'm not athletic but you know you make <laughs> the girls laugh you're surrounded so I, I knew that there was a future in show business for me after all you know and I went on to uh, do theater in high school and then uh, college and uh, out in Long Island, uh, CW Post. I think they call it Long LIU Post now. And oh, yeah. Okay. Got, a theater, got a theater degree in acting and came into the city and then started as any young actor would at the, you know, at the very bottom and doing, you know, odd jobs to keep, you know, keep afloat. But I uh, found improv very early on. Uh, answered an ad for an improv class in the trade papers in New York city. Within a month, I was a, a mainstay in the company. I went through the classes and well, and so, sort of was like, uh, 
<clears throat> the sleeping giant moment. You didn't know that that you were facile at something until you got involved in it. That's awesome. So improv is really my background. And later on, I was, again, was with the First Amendment Improv Company. That's where I cut my teeth for years. And some amazing people came out of there and wound up being my comedy partner. We were the morning comedy team on WPLJ in the late 70s and early 80s. Oh, cool. I'm in Jersey. That's awesome. Yeah. We were on the Jim Kerr show back in the day. Sweet. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I was 26. I was doing uh, cut and roast beef at a deli at night. And by day I was writing with a partner that I met at, uh, at, at the first amendment. He was a, uh, not program director, but he just kind of ran the commercials department, um, creating all the great voices. And he was the man who taught me, uh, how to get to the punchline. You know, I would, I was a, a freewheeling physical comic. You know me, I'm big in size. And Jim was, he would look at me and go, I right, say that punchline in six words, say it in four words. And he really got me to learn how to focus to do that. So my background before, you know, B movies, films, television, voiceovers isn't comedy. And then I ran a nightclub in New York called Who's on First in the late eighties, <clears throat> excuse me, where I was uh, the MC, the creative director. I put my own improvisational improvisational company together. And uh, that's where you know, that's where it all started for me in New York until my mid thirties, where my sadly my marriage was breaking up and I realized I hadn't had my film or TV career that I promised myself at 17 years old and <laughs> I moved out, I moved out to California at 34 years old. Wow. I love improv. I've talked to a bunch of people that start it because a lot of times it's not on their bio. You can't find anything online. And when you hear improv, I took some classes when I was living out in Portland, Oregon, and it's just mm-hmm. a beautiful art form. And that's so cool that you did that. It changed. I'm still doing it. I teach, you know, I've I had improv companies, my own in New York, Los Angeles, London, in these past few years, and nice. now in Indianapolis. And I'm still teaching. I teach five workshops a month in Indianapolis, and I have my own improvisational company, an acting company out there. And it's, um, you know, old comics never die. They just go into improv, you know. And, <laughs> and and I get more out of teaching it and mentoring it now than truly anything I've ever done in my career. That is so cool. That's cool that you can give back for something you love so much. Well, you know, can you give back, but we've all had teachers who really never did what they were teaching. You know what I mean? Oh, I know. You, you, you got a guy working on cars who really didn't know how to do cars, but <laughs> I, this is what I, this is, this is who I am. This is my whole life. So, you know, I, I, I try and, demystify you know show business can be very ooh california ooh new york ooh chicago and it's like no you can we curse on this podcast yeah well we can find you you can find, look at my sons you can fucking do this yeah you know i'm a fat kid from new york city who followed his dreams so um what i get out of teaching and, and mentoring right now is you know i'm going to be 66 this coming weekend i'm in act three of my life here you know this is the time where, you know, our hero gets the girl and rides off into the sunset. <laughs> yes, yes. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your first acting gig when you got out to L.A.? Was it one of these voice acting roles that are on your IMDb? I don't know no, if that's ever right. It was, it was it was Sorority House Massacre 2. That was your first acting role? That was, aside from 
being involved in the theater company. That was, yeah. I, I had an, a, a, a God, this is, this is 30 years ago, Doug, yes. you know, as, as we used to say in the sixties, do you know how many drugs ago that is? You know, <laughs> that's a lot of memory ago, but I wound up auditioning for Jim Wynarski and Julie Carmen, Roger's wife. And I knew it was going to be a good day when I went up to the, their office in, uh, in New Horizons, and there was like 27 girls in the room and me. I went, <laughs> if nothing else happens, you know, I've already won. And I auditioned, and, and I walked in and did this Orville Ketchum character, you know, this Orville Ketchum, Orville Ketchum. I looked at Jim Wynarski and I said, kind of like Bond, James Bond, but on Thorazine. And he gave me the look like, who, who the hell are you? You know, and I booked it right there. And and the story I tell about Jimmy Wynarski is I, I booked it. It was Sorority House Massacre. We were doing the entire film, you know, in seven days or six days. I don't actually remember him because they were about 15 hour days. Yeah. And, and Jim, it was late. It was cold, even for California at three o'clock in the morning. Everybody was tired, and he was just lacing into some poor grip who was not paying enough, you know, money, not getting paid enough for working in the you know guerrilla filmmaking. And it, the whole set got absolutely silent. And I stood there and I just started applauding. I went, I went, ladies and gentlemen, Jim Wynarski, the Jim Wynarski dancers, we right out, stay with us. And the whole place broke up the whole it loosened everybody up Winarski turned on me with that who the fuck are you look <laughs> and we were instant friends then we realized we were both kids that grew up in new york city and 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 loved the same things and Abbott and costello on sunday mornings and so there was this great friendship and i wound up you know my you know if the bus hit me tonight doug it wouldn't say improv actor it wouldn't say film and television actor it would say B movie actor Peter Spellos died today. You know? <laughs> and, and that would be just fine. I wound up doing, I lost count. It was a dozen to 16 with, with Winarski. And I think it was close to 20 with Fred Olin Ray. And these became friends. I don't know how old you are, son, but I'm from the 60s when Johnny Carson was everything on television. And he had a thing called. The Mighty Carson Art Players, where he did all his characters. Yeah. Well, this is what working working with these guys in the B movie business was like. It was sort of like I understood it from theater. It was a fraternity. It was a theater company of actors. You, you know, they hired you because, well, you know, you made them laugh, <laughs> and you knew your lines. You're on time. No bullshit. You know, we got 72 setups we're doing today, and you did the work, but. What came out of that was not a career. What came out of that was more than that was friends, you know? Yeah. I rewatched Sorority Horse, uh, Sierra Horse, House Massacre 2 last night. And uh, I remember seeing it as a kid. And that was like the exact day. I was born in 86. So like as a kid, like those kind of movies, all, that kind of horror. Yeah. Hey, Doug, I got pants older than you. Okay. So that they just have to say that you're <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like movies like that, those type of horror, like those B horror movies, like when you go into it, when you're watching it, you know what you're gonna get out of it. But you know one thing that was always cool, and I'm sure it was used before, but when I was growing up, like I saw I know you did last summer, 
And I'm like, oh, that is what Orville Ketchum used in Sorority House Massacre, the same weapon. That was like the first one you used in that opening kill scene. Well, you got to understand all the directors, when you get to the, you know, when you're finally doing your own projects, you homage the things you grew up loving. Do you know what I mean? So with Jim, it was always the horror movies that would play on Saturday mornings on a cartoon show. And, um, and, and he brought that joy. And he also, he was big into comedy. You know, what nobody realized except Wynarski and I on Sorority House Master 2, we were making a comedy. Oh, it yeah. was a spoof, but the girls thought it was serious, you know, and that's why Jimmy and I got along because, you know, off off camera, I was just, you know, making them laugh. I was doing Costello voices all day long and we were doing line from Who's On First and Abbott and Costello. So it was, it certainly was the halcyon days for me when I first came to Los Angeles from from New York and fell into this and cut my teeth. I mean, all that B-movie stuff that I did really allowed me to do all the A-movie stuff that I did. Yeah. Because I was fearless. In fact, when I walked in to, um, God, by the way, you'll never shut me up. You asked me one question, and I'll speak for an hour. <laughs> it, was, it was a show for HBO, Dream On, and John Landis was directing. And and I walked into the audition for yeah I know uh, I walked into the audition. He looked at my resume. He said Fred on the way and Jim Wynoski. I said yeah. He said Dinosaur Island. I said yeah. He said these are the worst directors in the world. I went and he took a beat. He says I love these guys. Can you get me a copy of the film? I went <laughs> absolutely. So we're chatting. Did the audition. Walked out. The casting director goes the fuck was that? I go oh, John's a fan I guess. And wound up booking the episode and working with John Landis. And I, I got him a copy of Dinosaur Island, which he had loved. And it was, everybody loves the movies they never talk about. Those VHS, you know, 70s, 80s, horror, detective, whatever the genre you were into, you know, when, 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 when it was really first coming out that you could go to a video store and get the movie, you could see on a Friday night, you could look at the box and go, Oh wow. Tits and violence. That's what I want. <laughs> um, and, and that was the eighties box covers, you know? So it was, I was just, a, a, I wouldn't say a reluctant citizen. I just kind of fell into this. And because of my comedy background, that's why we were able to make Orville funny. You know, in the second one, the remake, Jim let me do some stuff on camera. Well, I just went, just keep it rolling. I'm going to do a silent bit here. And to have that kind of a relationship as a young actor on film was, again, it allowed me to bring my improv training into the movie. <clears throat> Excuse me. And to be, a, you know, a uh, a regular contributor to, to uh, the genre. To this day... Some guy named Doug from New Jersey is interviewing <laughs> me in a podcast because of the B movies I did 30 years ago. Yeah, no, you it's know? cool. Like I told you in the one email, cool. I don't know if it was when I emailed you or on Twitter and I said, I just interviewed Don uh, Fauntleroy for his career and we talked now, Munchie. Do I, do I know who that is? Yeah, he was the director of photography on Munchie and Munchie Strikes Back. Okay, I can't he's, put a again. Yeah, he's it. married to Leslie Ann Down, who was the star of the second movie. Right, right, right. Yeah, you know, but it's 
It's a thousand faces ago. Oh, friend, I know. You know. I rem- what I remember from that movie is working with John Biner because he was like a voiceover and, and stand up comic hero. So to me, that movie is I got to work with John Biner. Oh, that's cool. No, the thing that was cool about Don, when I talk to people, I don't know what part of their career is going to like strike a chord. And I'm going through everything. I mentioned Munchie. And obviously, I don't yeah. see you, but I, I felt him like light up. He was like, oh, that was the first time because Corman gave him the opportunity to, and probably Jim too, uh, to let yeah. him be a director of photography for the first time. So he did like an ABC after school special and he could work with kids. And then from there, he just, he blew up. He's been in a lot of stuff, directed a bunch of Seagal movies, Anaconda movies. So yeah, he was pretty cool. I think Andrew, I think Andrew Stevens was producing at that time on the movie too. Oh, he was producing it too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Andrew's one of the stars. Yeah. He's, yeah. We, we talked about that movie. Munchie was a pretty wild movie. It's so, you know what, no matter where I went, no matter what a list and I did a lot of great stuff. Um, someone would come up to me and goes, Spellos, right? I go, yeah. He said, I, you know, I was key grip on so-and-so, you know, on Dinosaur Island. And it was just this like great fraternity of, of it's, it was guerrilla filmmaking. It, it's the closest, again, I said before, akin to a theater company. You knew everybody. You all had lunch together. There was no fucking actor's table and extra's table and crew table. We all ate together. We all laughed together. We all drank together. You know, it was, that was the joy of the whole thing. I owe those guys my, my show business career. And I always told them that. Yeah, I it's said, cool. you guys like, put me on. Yeah, I was going to say, just like you mentioned before, like you needed to be like, hey, we're going to do X amount of setups today. We're going to get it done. So it made it easier for you when you went on to a kind of set. When I walked in, uh, on, there's only one movie I interviewed for and did not audition for, and it was Bound. Um, the Wachowski brothers before they both transitioned, you know, who did the matrix. Yeah. Um, and literally they brought me into a meeting up at their office with, I think it was at the De Laurentiis and said, we love your presence in B movies. He says, that's why we brought you in here. We love how you look and feel on the screen. And we want you to do a, a principal role, but he doesn't speak. He's the bodyguard. And I literally said, I said, gentlemen, I'm about to say a line I've always wanted to say that I've never said before. And they both looked at me and they went, what? I went, boys, tell me about your movie. <laughs> and you know, I just was being a dick that day. And they were great. And I wound up doing Bound with, you know, Joe Pantliano and John P. Ryan and, you know, Jennifer Tilly and the Wachowski brothers. And, and because of Orville Ketchum. Because of that work in those B movies that they loved my presence. And, you know, I have Winarski first and foremost, and then Fred and Ray to thank for that. You know, and later on, folks like Richard Gabay, who I work for too, and, and the late Gary Graver, and, you know, they were always good to me. They'd always have something and go, all right, I need you for a day. You're this guy, you're that guy. And, you know, and would, would always be very kind to me along the way. So do you ever go to like comic cons or any of those like autograph shows? You know, I've gone to first one I did was cinema wasteland. I actually did it with Winarski about you're asking me to remember what time it is here. Oh, it doesn't uh, have to be exact. Uh, four or five years ago. And from there I wound up at, um, 
Indie PopCon in Indianapolis. And that's what got me to Indianapolis. Oh, look so at that. I, and the other one I do is the two greatest cons in the world. Originally it was called Auto Assembly and now it's TF Nation. And they're both in England. They're Europe's largest Transformers convention. Because I'm the voice of Skybite that I originated in the English dub, the US dub of Transformers Robots in Disguise. So that's another fandom. You know, there's a fandom that knows me as Orville, but there's a whole fandom that knows me as Skybite. And I go to England twice a year and I go to the convention and that's how I started teaching in London. So <laughs> it's the strange, my, what a, what a, what a long, strange trip it's been. Is the yeah. So, so how did you get into doing uh, voiceovers? You know, it's, it's just a logical progression. Um, you did the way I was taught growing up, you did everything. So in New York, I did stand up, I did improv, I did stage, I did film, I did radio. So you just started doing it. But the first voiceover I got was literally a, a happenstance on a, was on the set of FBI, the untold stories. I was playing the bad guy, um, the bad cop, rapist cop, you know, romantic lead. Um, <laughs> and, and, a, and a buddy of mine called me and said, can you come in for an audition? Um, we lost an actor and, and I said, no, I'm on the set. He says, if I gave you the director's number, would you call him? He said, I'll audition you on the phone. I went, fine. Great. So on a lunch break, literally, I like pulled a paper plate out of the trash and got on the kids. If you're listening at home, I got on a pay phone. Please Google what? that. Um, and then calm down. And, you know, cause, cause mom always said, well, back in the day, mom always said, Always have a dime in your pocket, so you have to make a phone call. But I always had quarters. So. Anyway, called the director, the great late Stu Rosen, who just passed this last year, and I auditioned on the phone. And he said, spell us, it's fine. Come on in later tonight. And um, I did a thing called, uh, a character, shark character called Admiral Malco on a series called, uh, I don't even remember, Space something or other. Um, I had no idea it was recurring. I wound up doing... 14 of the 26 episodes. Stu, who's this wonderful, short, very New York Jewish fellows, don't you do any other voices kind of, you know, kind of thing. And, and I went, no, Stu, you keep hiring me for the same fucking voice. So <laughs> he brought me into audition for the next series as one of the leads, and I booked it. So all of a sudden, the people in the voiceover looking around, who the fuck is this guy? But they knew me through a friend of mine who, who brought me in. And then I fell into this dubbing and meeting all these guys. And, you you know, you're social and you play poker. And now, you know, as Gary Larson once wrote, Rusty's in the club. And, and then I just started to, to book work. You know, they call me up. Can you do this? Can you do that? And then in 2001, Jamie Simone, who was always very good to me, who I met at Saban when I was doing a couple different series down there brought me in for Transformers and that rechanged me again five years ago, sort of the renaissance, you know, of my career. I had a, uh, you know, Doug, it's almost, wow, it's almost eight years that, you know, I was in the throes of a prescription painkiller dependency at the end of my time in California. And thankfully I was able to beat it through some, by the grace of hard work and a, and a doctor who, you know, weaned me off of it. but. I, 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 you know, I'm, I, 
you just lost me down memory lane. I'm forgetting why I told that story because it's just. Well, you're talking about Transformers, but yeah, no, I hear you. But I, but I was grateful to be able. When they first called me and I turned them down like two years into the sobriety, and I said, "Hey, you know, I wasn't ready to, to come out yet." But in 2014, they said, "Please, would you come to England? We want you to be one of the guests of honor." And I was gobsmacked, as my Brits friends say, by the love that I had no idea um, that people knew my career and and loved the series so much. And it really, it changed, it changed everything five years ago. Just, it made me think, you know what? I got more to do. And then falling into Indianapolis and the kids there. And and now I'm teaching high school once a month because one of my students is a high school teacher locally there. Oh, Um, awesome. So much so much so i'm moving there in about three months oh cool just because nice. you know that's where i'm working and that's where you know that's where life has taken me now but again it's kind of all stems from improv 45 years ago and then getting to california and you know the kindness of jim winarski and fred Olin ray will let me cut my teeth on all this stuff and we had a blast don't let anybody tell you ever different about these stories you know this was a good time. This was a lot of laughs. You did a lot. It was, it was hard work. You know, it wasn't, you know, I'm filming, I'm working for NBC that day and we're shooting two and a half pages. You know, this was, we're shooting 17 pages and the second <laughs> meal's walking. You're about to be eating that pizza as you're going into hair and makeup. Um, but again, that kind of training, like the training I got as a young stage actor when they just threw you on stage, was invaluable. Because you learn, you learn to do it, and you shut up and do the work, you know, and smile and do the work, and they ask you back, you know, stop complaining, and they'll let you do it again. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here on your IMDb, some of the credits has as G. Gordon Bayer. I can't tell you why <laughs> I wound up going with that nom de plume, um, but I, but I will tell you that G. Gordon is actually a small teddy bear. That's my sister who was. Um, oh, no way. And he does exist, G. Gordon Bear. I, you know, I, it just got to the time where I, I, I needed for all, I needed to separate some of the work I was doing from other of the work I was doing. Yeah. So I figured if it was good enough for Mark Twain, well, God damn it, then I'm going to come up with my own. And, you know, of course, it got out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> No, but that's cool. Now I was looking at it. I'm like, I wonder what that was. But yeah. So, so in your career, you had a lot of guest roles all while you're doing all these movies, working with Jim, doing the voiceovers. You had a lot of guest roles on like TV shows. Were there any like yeah. that? Cause you seem like a guy that walks into the room and people notice you because you have a big bubbly kind of personality and you're like your improv background. You're always ready to yes. And to address exactly what you're saying, you know, I have a dear friend, She's helping me write a book. And the, the working title is, I'm that guy in those movies. <laughs> nice. Because you, you kind of know, you think you know who I am, but you have no idea who I am because yeah. you haven't, you know, you don't, because you kind of live anonymously like that. But the show that really was um, the greatest thing I ever worked on was American Dreams on NBC. Um, Jonathan Prince was the creator. and um it took place in Philadelphia in the 1963 around the show American Bandstand um, oh, nice. and the, the family, the changing family in the new post Camelot Kennedy is dead world 
um, and how that was changing. But there was a segment every week where uh, it took place at the old American Dick Clark's American Bandstand, which if you, of, of my age, that was the the show growing up. Um, and but we had on that first season all these amazing young stars that I you know I didn't know at the time, but the world didn't know, but as well, but Beyonce and Usher and um, Jewel and Wayne Brady came on and did something and oh, wow. and Jennifer Love. There's a great story. Oh, there you go. Because I worked on Love in those movies. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, and then I worked on Heartbreakers that oh, she really? was Just in, but that. I did my scene with Sigourney Weaver. And so I didn't see Love. And that's what we knew her. We knew her as Love back then. So when she was doing Tina Sinatra on American Dreams, now get this, um, standing outside the set, it was a beautiful sunny day. There's a group of producers to the right. And there's me hanging out with the extras because those are my people, but you know, some of my students having a cigarette and um, you see her, she's walking from hair and makeup looking great as Tina and she screams, Oh my God. And she starts to run in the direction. Now, I think the producers thought she was running towards them, but she runs into my arms and gives me a big hug and oh, you know, and there was this, you know, Oh my God, how are you? Good to see you. You're in the show. And, I, I saw you in the movie then, and it was great because I looked at the producers like, oh, yeah, I'm the shit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know you. I knew her as Love Hewitt. So even then, my friend, Munchie and Little Miss, I think Little Miss Millions, I think that was the movie that I first did with Love that Jim directed that um, Dr. Johnny Fever, Howard Hessman was also in, oh, wow. um, where I played Ralph the Bus Driver. Jimmy and I's homage to Ralph Cramden. Oh, look at that. You know, That's cool. So we were always doing that, that shtick. So I have no idea what the original question you asked me was, but that's what happens when you get me. Oh, no, no. I was asking like shows that you were on. You, American Dreams. That's cool. Oh, American Dreams. It was just, it was, as a young actor, I always wanted to do the Christmas episode. You know, all the great sitcoms, Mary Tyler Moore, The Odd Couple, The Honeymooners, they all had their Christmas episode. Well, I, I always thought, you know what? I want to get in a TV series one day where I'm on the Christmas episode. So we got to do it. I got to have a Santa hat on and I got to be, it was like another one of those ridiculous childhood dreams where you go, well, shit, here, here, here I am exactly where I said I wanted to be. <laughs> and then you almost got to think of another dream so you can conquer that one because you're like, oh, I almost checked off everything off my bucket list. I got to add to it. Well, you know what? I'm, I, I've been a very fortunate man. Like, like I said, I, I just, let me put it this way. This is what I tell my students. I said, it's either what you do or who you are. I said, if this, if this industry is this career, this acting is what you do, you're going to have successes. You're going to have failures, but in the, in the end, Go home to Cincinnati. Your parents miss you. Have a baby and get on with your life. I said, now, but if this is who you are, welcome to your life because this is forever. You'll have jobs that are not your career. You'll have different things, but, you know, I'm a lifer. I don't know anything else. I'm semi-retired. I'm 66 years old. I'm teaching five workshops a week in Indianapolis, so much so I'm moving out there. You know what I mean? What would I do if I couldn't do this? 
So uh, lucky is is doesn't even begin to touch it, my friend. Yeah, and one one thing I I jotted down when I was looking at your IMDb and checking things out was a movie called Giver, the Giver with Jimmy <laughs> Walker. Like the photo of you with Jimmy Hawker is so cool, and then you know Michael Berryman's in it, and of course Mark Hamill. Well, first of all, the four henchmen were Michael Berryman, Jimmy J.J. Walker, Spice Williams, a professional wrestler, and yours truly. Um, an unholy foursome that has never been seen in film history. Again. That's awesome. Mark Hamill, before he became the Joker, and you know, and he, he was just coming back out. He was a nice guy, very chatty. And, but Brian Usner, the producer, knew me from the Monarski stuff, and and Steve Wang, who did a lot of the creatures at Stan Winston, helped create the Predator and stuff like that. And screaming and screaming, Mad George was the two creative geniuses on this movie, because I didn't know what the Garver was. You know, it was the history of it in Japan, and we were doing this American live-action version. But these guys were so creative, and they brought us in for rehearsals um, just to watch us move, because then they would have our stunt guys come in who played our zoonoids, and they would watch us walk. So the they, the the zoonoid would walk like we would walk, you know. They would try and and it, it was a fascinating. It was a very stage rehearsal process for a film. In fact, the most next to sliders, the most um, rehearsal time that I ever got on a, on a on a film set. Oh wow! It looks pretty cool. I got to try to check it out. It looks really awesome. It is. It, it, then Steve went on to do a, a second one. I think that he produced as well called the Guyver Dark Hero. And that's the one the fans like a lot more. You know, the fans are not a big, big on this movie because it's kind of campy because it's, you know, it's, you know, my fat self and Jimmy J.J. Walker, you know, <laughs> rapping. So it's, it, once again, I had a blast. I worked with Dino Might himself. You know what I mean? That is a blast. At the end of the day, Doug, I, I won. Yes. <laughs> you know, with the career I had, I, I won. You know, next question, please. You know, that kind of thing. So, Peter, for a guy that's been in a lot of different things, do you ever keep mementos or are you not one of those people that would do that? I do, but I'm trying to think. I'll tell you one. When things were going south in California, um, and I was trying to get home. I was selling all my possessions because my mom was suffering from dementia at the time. And I wanted to get home and be there for her and, and rid myself of this um, prescription painkiller habit. And a fan wrote me and said, I heard, you know, that you're struggling and I wanted to know, do you have any memorabilia? And I, I went, I really don't have. And I thought, you know what? I have one of the Orville shirts that I've saved. That's cool. You know, and he went, I'll give you $300 for it. And I took a beat and I said, where am I mailing it? You know, and, and so in, in my darkest hour, you know, before the, the Renaissance and my return, Orville saved my life again. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? That, that non-talkative bastard just, he, he just keeps moving forward. So, but, but 
aside from that, you know, I might have a couple of scripts or a hat or a shirt, but I have pictures. You know, every time, that's what I have. That's cool. Every time in wardrobe, they would take a picture of you, Doug, you know, for wardrobe. And back in the day, they were all on Polaroids. So they could immediately see on the set what you look like. So they could dress you exactly like that on the next scene. I would always say to the, the, the wardrobe girl, take one for me. And they wouldn't. So I have this series of Polaroids from films and TV shows that I have done over the years. Um, that I, I guess that is the one keepsake. Aside from everything's on, everything's streaming now. My career is splayed out for you like a dead body for a coroner. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. you know, like like turkey buzzard. Pick pick your favorite intestine and and, and you know, have a go. <laughs> but that's perfect for your book that you did do that and you had the the wherewithal to think of that back then while you're getting the photos. Hey, give me one too, because that's like a perfect center part of your book. I just thought, you know, someday I'm going to be in the old actor's home, crapping in my pants, not remembering anybody. <laughs> and I might as well have these pictures and, and go, you know who I used to be? And and, and she go, no, honey, is it pudding? Yeah, it's pudding. Come on in. And and, and there goes another showbiz career, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but at least you have the photos to remember. I think that's pretty cool. And you know that's what? I, I won. Like, like I said before. I'm, I'm, I'm working on borrowed money right now. I'm playing with house money at this point. Hey, but you're giving back. So that's cool. So when are you heading to Indianapolis? I actually leave on Friday to, it's my birthday weekend too. So we're going to be having a good time with the students and working that and looking for an apartment and, and, and continuing my surprising career at 66 as a as a mentor you know i'm really digging going in once a month and teaching high school students cuz usually my students have always been 18 to you know 65 yeah because that kids that age are pudding you know they're not done yet they're in this sort of amorphous stage you know <laughs> and they're sort of like golden retrievers there's far too much energy for me at this point i can't deal with that Except these kids are fantastic. And they not only won my art, I looked at my student who teaches there, I said, can I come into your high school one day and corrupt your children? She went, oh, absolutely. You know. And by the way, Doug, in, in, in Indiana, I look like I'm in the witness protection program from The Sopranos. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't look like it. I walk into restaurants and I still get that pause as I walk in, you know, that somewhere I, I could have sworn I heard somebody go, I think that's Big Louie, you know, and just. It's going to turn into my blue heaven. You're going to see other yeah, guys yeah. that look like that too, that escape New York mm -hmm. City and they're like uh, covering their eyes and they're like, hey, what's up? Well, yeah, you, you're kind of not, you know, how you know, how you doing? What's up? This sir, if you do, if you could see, if this is a talkie phone here, you could see me bob my head in that jersey. No, how you doing? <laughs> Just that kind of head bob up and down that lets you know everything's okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So, Peter, this has been awesome, man. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for taking the time and getting back to me. I appreciate it. My pleasure, my friend. This, you know, once again, it's folks like you who are not only keeping idiots like me alive, 
but who have such a love for the industry and the work that was done. And, and it, it, it really lives and breathes because of folks like you, Doug. So oh, well, thank, thank you. you. for. I love hearing these stories. Honestly, I never thought when I started this about a year ago, I was lucky enough to chat with, you know, I interviewed William Sadler, Lance Kinsey, and you're interviewing you is cool because I've watched you in so many things growing up. So each and every person obviously has been kind enough to take the time, but has had, just had a great story to tell. I love hearing people, why they're doing what they do. You're never going to talk to somebody. They're going to be like, well, so I woke up this morning, this one morning, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to be an actor. And then I won my first Oscar. There's a cool story to get to why they got there. And it was great to hear yours. Well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. I mean, it is, it's about the process. Yep. It's, in fact, it's, it's why I love improv the most, because it's all process. Definitely. You know, the, the, the show is the, is the orgasm, is the last moment. But it's the three weeks of rehearsal that you learn about each other, and you sweat and tears, and you yell, and you go drinking that night, and you work that scene out, and it still sucked. And, you know, you put that time in, and all of a sudden, you're looking at, you know, it, look what we did. You know, it's like a little kid pointing to the toilet the first time he goes to the bathroom. Goes, Look what I did, you know, and, and it's that same sort of love where you. I, I'm rambling on about this tonight, but no, it, may, no, it makes total sense. I only took two improv classes when I lived out in Portland, Oregon. And it was like the most amazing thing is when you're done, it was almost like Will Farrell in old school. You do that like that. You feel like that blackout. And you're like, oh my God, what did we just do? And then they recorded it for our class so we could check it out. And I'm like, dude, I can't believe I was able to think about all that stuff on the spot because it's such a rush to be on stage and be able to just come up with something out of nothing. I think the drug, to me, at least I've defined it for me and my students, is you're present. Yes. You're hyper present to the moment, to listening to what's going on to the surroundings. If you had ever come to a show of mine at the, at the comedy club, I could have told you exactly where you were seated in the audience. You know what I mean? There was that awareness. It's spidey sense is the only other way I can describe yeah. it. That, that you on stage as an actor and you're doing improv, you just get this awareness of what, where the pieces are and is there a piece missing? You know, and it's to watch young actors come upon this. And I have newbies and, you know, I wouldn't say, I hate to use the word um, experts because I have mastery and I'm a novice. You know what I mean? Yeah. But people who are, or at least are at a more advanced level, to watch breakthroughs where you literally, literally see the light go on in their eyes, where it's like, wow, either they got it or they were moved. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> That's it's, true. You know, I, teach, I teach acting as well. And I'm always like, stop fucking acting, look in her eyes and tell her you love her. <laughs> and then, and, and that let the camera see that. And, I used to have an assistant, Lauren Brock. She's in the industry now as a location manager. Terrific woman, mother, friend. And she's just from Tennessee, and she'd always be in my acting class. And she'd look at me, and she goes, you, you always make everybody cry. And I go, what? She goes, you make everybody cry in class. I go, I don't make anybody cry in class. She goes, well, how come everybody's crying in your class? I said, well, you know what? I kind of 
introduce them to where they're stuck and to kind of I give them permission to be whatever they're feeling. And they cry. And she starts crying. She goes, you see, you're doing it to me right now. I go, you know, you know, Lauren, I love you so much. It, 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 it's getting people at this point to be free, Doug. And, and, and there's nothing like that. There's nothing I could do in, on stage or in front of a mic that would be better than looking at a young actor and introducing them to themselves and watching them let go of the fear and walk into it anyway. You know, it's, that's the juice for me. That's the stuff that has my interest. That's your third act. Like you said, that's awesome, man. It is. Who knew act three would be this fucking interesting? I got to <laughs> tell you. <laughs> I think that's the perfect way to end it. That is awesome, Peter. You know what? Uh, tag me on this, put it on my Facebook page so I can publicize it and send it out there for your listeners and for the people who follow me. And whenever you want a part two, just give me a call. We'll hook it up. Awesome, man. Have a great rest of your night. Thanks again. Take care. Be well. I could have talked to Peter for hours. That was such a, man, such a fun interview. Learned so much about the guy. Really didn't go through up and down on his credits. But to me, sometimes those are the best interviews. You know, just really talking about just acting and what goes into it. So I hope you enjoyed that. Peter, if you're listening, thanks again. And I really hope you finish that book. When you do, I'll be the first to buy it. Don't forget to watch Sorority House Massacre 2. That's your homework. It's not a family movie, but it's going to be a lot of fun for me and Jamie and our special guests to discuss. And don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast, follow us on all social media at sequels only. And don't forget to check out our website, sequelsonly.com. Good night. <laughs>